Father, Lord God, we need you this morning. We are uh, dealing with a very difficult topic this morning, divorce. Lord God, um, I need your help to rightly divide the word of truth, to speak the truth of the word of God to your people, O Lord. I pray, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, O God, are acceptable in your sight, that that, um, I do not misrepresent you in any way, and that uh, your word shapes the hearts and minds of your people, O God, that you would help them to see your glory by everything that is in your word today, O God. Help us, God, in our unbelief by the aid of your Holy Spirit. In the holy name of Christ, we pray. Amen. So we are on the last core seminar for marriage, and it's on the topic of divorce. So this is the last one next next um, quarter. Um, Wally and Ed will be doing why we're Baptists. What is it that distinguishes Baptist theology from Presbyterians or other, um, you know, strings of Christianity? So it'd be uh, definitely attend that. It's a good thing. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it. And we have some very capable men teaching that. So that being said, we're on the last session of course seminar for marriage. The topic is divorce. And I want to say right up front that any discussion about the topic of divorce must be framed by Jesus's words in Matthew 19, Matthew chapter 19, verse 6, which says, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So any conversation that we have about divorce needs to be framed by that verse, and, that, and that's, chapter, that's uh, Matthew 19, verse 6, and 7 goes on to say, they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he, Jesus, said to them, because of the hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. So any conversation that you have about divorce, any, if you want to be biblical, you have to frame the conversation within this context. That, that, that divorce is not the way God intended marriage to ever be. The idea and a concept of divorce, even the even the, the divorces that God legitimates is because of sin. Okay? This is not the way God intended it to go from the beginning. So if you are in a situation where you're discussing divorce and somebody leads with the question, is it okay to get divorced under these circumstances? They've already started with the wrong question. Okay? Does that make sense to you? We'll get there. I got it in here. Okay? So you have to frame. Hey, how you doing, brother? Uh, we have to um, frame any discussion about divorce with that is not what God intended marriage to be. That makes sense to you? All right. So, number two, we must talk about the topic of divorce. 
because marriage is the one flesh union of two sinners. Okay? It's the one flesh union of two sinners, and it is and can be difficult. Right? Our culture has spread this idea that we can actually have relationships that are free from conflict. Okay? That only exists in Disney World in the last 10 minutes of romantic comedies. Okay? That is not reality. You cannot have a single relationship, whether it's a friendship, a working relationship, or a marriage that is free from conflict. You're not living on planet Earth if you think that. That is impossible. Okay? Marriage is difficult. Say it with me. Marriage is difficult. Okay? If you are in this room today and you're not married and you have this idea that you're different, okay, your marriage is not going to be like the 50 billion other marriages that have existed on this planet. You're going to be different. You're the snowflake. Your love is unique, okay? You're not, your feet are not on the ground, okay? You're not living in reality, and you need, to, you need to take that thought, put it in a dumpster with a bunch of kerosene, and just light it on fire because it's not real, okay? Marriage is difficult. You have a unique personality, but you're still human, and you're a sinner, and you're going to marry a sinner. Amen? Okay, and even the best marriages, even the best marriages are fraught with sin and conflict. Okay, even the best ones are. So since that's the case, the question we have to answer as it relates to divorce is, how must a Christian respond when, a, when, when someone becomes disillusioned in their marriage? How must, how must a Christian respond when you become disillusioned in your marriage. And by disillusioned, again, I don't mean you got into an argument, okay? Or you had a hard week, okay? What I mean is, is that you woke up one morning and you realized this marriage is not what I thought it was going to be. Why did I marry this fool, okay? I'm talking about when you get in those situations. When you're asking yourself, why did I even do this? Because the world is going to tell you divorce. They're going to call it irreconcilable differences. They're going to say you're not compatible. And they're going to say that feeling is a ground for divorce, is what the world and the culture that we live in is going to tell us. But that's not biblical. That's not true. Amen? Okay? Irreconcilable differences, right? All that is, is, you remember when you got married, if you're married, and you took vows, and one of the vows was for better or for worse? All the irreconcilable difference is, is the worst in your vow. That's all it is, right? That's all it is. And <clears throat> irreconcilable differences is the proving ground for grace. That gives you the opportunity 
to be gracious. Do you understand this? If you agree on everything, there is no, how are you going to be gracious to somebody? How am I going to be gracious to Lori if she agrees with everything that I says, everything that I say, she does, it does everything that I say perfectly, we never butt heads on anything, there's never any conflict whatsoever, how am I, when am I going to get the opportunity to be gracious? Okay? There is no opportunity without differences for me to extend grace to my spouse. So if, again, if we have the attitude that you must have a marriage that is free from conflict, free from disagreement, what you're doing internally is you might, have all, you, might have all, you might as well have already consulted a divorce attorney. You understand what I'm getting at? Because whether you realize it or not, what you're saying is, is that you're saying is, I don't want to be in a situation where I have to be gracious to you. Okay. That's what you say when you want a, a relationship that is free from conflict, free from disagreement, free from any kind of friction at all, right? If that's your biggest desire in the world, that's, in a sense, you're saying, I don't want to be a, in a situation where I have to sin, extend the same grace that Christ extended to me. That's what you're saying in a sense, okay? So look at your handouts. On the back page of your handout, I put a little chart back there for you to follow or for you to take home. It's on the page four. What that is is that's a, that's a chart of the three main views, the three main views that, generally speaking, most Christian, Christians hold toward divorce and remarriage. So the first one is what's called a, a permanence view, basically you, Never divorce, never remarry under any circumstances. So if, you, if peop, those that hold a permanent view, there's no legitimate reason in their view to ever initiate a divorce. Okay? And as long as the spouse or the ex-spouse is alive, you can never remarry. That's their view. Okay? The second view is divorce is permissible or legitimate in some cases. Right? That would be cases of uh, sexual immorality or physical abandonment or some situation where the marriage covenant is broken. And in this case, divorce or remarriage is never legitimate. So there are some that hold that view. And then the third view is sometimes divorce, sometimes remarry. And the difference with this one is you can get divorced under certain circumstances, biblical, Legit, there's a, there are biblically legitimate divorces, and then remarriage is legitimate only if the divorce was legitimate. Okay, only if the divorce was legitimate. So those are the three, those are the three views. And again, this matter, divorce is fraught with sin, is fraught with disobedience, is fraught with difficulties, and it's far easier to have to talk about this topic on paper than it is to deal with it in real life. Okay, so again, there are many godly people who don't fall in the same camp and believe the same things as it relates to divorce. Okay, and they do so, they have these distinct um, positions, and they all have the intention of trying to glorify God and honor what the Word of God says. For that reason, then, we have to be charitable towards one another when a person is 
sincerely trying to explain or have a, has a different position about this topic, from, but it's from the Word of God. So we need to be charitable towards one another in, as it relates to this. Amen? Okay, so I want to say this before we get into it. You must not ever have a discussion about divorce disconnected from the body of Christ. Okay? And when I mean that, I mean the, the local body and the body historically. What has the church historically said about this topic, right? And what do your pastors and the people in your local congregation have to say about, if I'm talking about people who are thinking, considering where they stand on this, right? Because you shouldn't be getting divorced. Okay, so let me, re- let me rewind. Everything that I say assumes you are in a church, a local body, fellowshipping with the saints, and people know you personally and have the freedom and latitude to disciple you and check you on your sin. I'm working under that assumption. If you're not working under that assumption and you ask me a question, I can't answer it. That make sense to you? Uh, That's the assumption that I'm working under. Because if you're operating like that in a local body and divorce comes up, you're going to get counsel. Right? You're going to get counsel from brothers and sisters who are there with you to know which one of you is actually sinning the most. That's perpetuating this. Because both of you are going to be sinning. But one of you is maybe the one pushing this thing forward more. That makes sense to you? And you need to be among a body of believers that can hold both parties accountable. So when, I, when we start talking about divorce and what's, legit, what's a legitimate divorce and what's not a legitimate divorce, I am working under the assumption that you are in a body of believers who can hold you accountable. And Matthew 18s can be happening. Does that make sense? Okay. Because when, you get, when, a, when, t- when a couple is talking about divorce and thinking about divorce, that's not happening in a vacuum. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's not happening in a vacuum. All right, second, we must not allow our personal feelings to override the word of God as it relates to this topic. We must not allow our family background to color how we interpret the Bible in relationship to divorce. In our past experiences, our parents' failures at marriage, and our spouse's sin cannot be the hermeneutic or the interpretive grid that you use to determine the matter of divorce. That makes sense to you? The word of God, the word of God, the gospel, and the union between Christ and his bride must land where, must land, must be the guide that determines where you land on this topic. The gospel, the union between Christ and his bride, and the word of God. Those, those got to be the three things that's controlling this. And so listen, this is going to be short because I anticipate a lot of questions. Right? So look, divorce is a difficult topic. It's a difficult topic because the word of God says in Malachi 2.16, if you're following along on your handouts, God hates divorce. He hates it. He despises it. And the Lord's hatred of divorce... Let me, re- let me read uh, Malachi 2.16 real quick. 
Sorry. Malachi 2.16 says, I'm a, sorry, I'm going to start at uh, 14. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and, and the wife of your youth <clears throat> to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit that none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Okay? The Lord hates divorce. He absolutely despises it. And he does not hate divorce from some smug, self-righteous position. The Lord hates divorce. I mean, I'm sorry, the Lord does not hate divorce as a disinterested third party, but he hates divorce as someone who knows the pain personally. Okay? So in other words, God hates divorce in the same way a divorced person hates divorce. Okay? Jeremiah 3 tells us this. It says, that the, his people in Israel had committed spiritual adultery by um, worshiping false idols. And Jeremiah 3, verses 6 through 10 says this. The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, Have you seen what she did, the faithless one, Israel? How she went up on every hill and under every green tree and played the whore? And I thought after she had done all this, she would return to me, but she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she too went and played the whore because she took her whoredom lightly. She polluted the land, committing adultery with stone and tree. Yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return with me. And then I return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, declares the Lord. The Lord knows what it is to write a certificate of divorce to his spouse. And he hates it because he knows the pain of it personally. Okay? He knows what it means to be betrayed, betrayed and forsaken. He knows the pain of divorce. That's why he hates it. Because he knows what it does to people. He knows what it does to families. Okay? So we will be asking three questions about this topic, divorce. What it is, why he hates it, and despite the fact that he hates it, when does he permit it? Okay? So what is divorce? So right off the bat, there's going to be, there's a legal definition, a social definition of divorce, and then there's a biblical definition of divorce, okay? So I'm not going to even waste my time with the legal definition because I don't really care, okay? See, but divorce, what divorce means biblically, and you'll see this in your handout, divorce biblically is the public and formal acknowledgement that the one flesh union has been broken and the marriage covenant has been dissolved. So all divorce is biblically is recognizing something that has already, publicly recognizing something that's already happened. You understand? 
So the divorce itself didn't break the covenant. The covenant was broken already because somebody did something that broke it. And now the divorce is just, we're publicly acknowledging to everybody else that it's broken. That makes sense to you? So the divorce, the papers didn't break it. Okay? Some sin broke it. And that's the, kind, that's the way, that's the attitude you should be viewing marriage. Somebody had a question? Okay. That's how you should be viewing divorce, okay? So let me, let me, let me get into this a little bit. So marriage exists, like we talked about over the few week, uh, last few couple months, is a one flesh union between one man, let me, let me, one biologically born male, okay, and one biologically born female in the context of a covenantal oath, and that's described in Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, and what divorce does is publicly acknowledging, acknowledges that that's broken, okay? So now, there are, there are things can, that can violate sin, there are other sins that can violate the marriage covenant, but not break it, okay? So there are things that can violate it to some degree, but not break it. So every violation of your marriage covenant does not necessarily fundamentally dissolve this one flesh union. That makes sense to you? Okay? So there are some things like sexual immorality, which we'll get into that. So divorce is the public and formal acknowledgement that this one flesh union has been broken and dissolved. Why, that's question number two. Why does God hate divorce? He hates divorce for a few reasons. One, because divorce breaks a covenant, and God is a covenant-keeping God. Right? So I, I read Malachi 2.14. I'm not going to read it again, but God bears witness against a man in Malachi 2, 14, or 13 through 16. He's bearing witness against this man for divorce and his wife because of the covenant relationship that they had between one another. And every marriage is a covenant between two people and the Lord, right? And so, because also in Malachi 2, divorce, what it does is it compromises God's desire for marriage. One of the reasons, one of the reasons that God put people together to be married, godly, godly people together to be married, fellowshipping together in a local church, believing the gospel is so that when you have babies, you'll raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That is one of the things he expects us to do, right? To raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And when you get divorced and you separate, you keep that from happening in a real serious way. You make that extremely difficult, right? Anybody in here a product of a broken home? You ever go from mama's house on this weekend, daddy's house on this weekend, or you only see your daddy on the summer or whatever? How is that man supposed to do his job to raise his children in the fear and admonition of the Lord when he's not in your home? How's that supposed to happen? If you get divorced, men, listen to me. If you get divorced and you have children, you have zero control, zero control over what's happening to your children. Do you understand that? 
she's going to potentially remarry another man, and you have zero control over what's going on. You have zero control of what this man is teaching your children. You have zero, you might think you got some control, but that's just an illusion. Okay, you have zero control of what's going on. You cannot do the job that God has called you to do if you allow your children to not to be in some other man's house. So, just as a practical thing here, when and if your wife is getting on your nerves, okay, and you have children, guess what you're supposed to do? Be gracious, suck it up, make it work for the sake of those babies, if nothing else. Okay, there's this lie that's being promulgated in the world that says, oh, you shouldn't stay together for the kids. Lies. That is a lie from the pit. Okay? If, if there's nothing else but that left, that should be one of the most, most mitigating factors as to whether or not you're going to stay as those babies. Right? Obviously, your relationship with the Lord first but you're going to look me in the face and tell me that you brought some human beings into this world that had no say in it and that they come last? You got a Savior in heaven who put aside all of his priorities, all of his glory for your benefit. He did that for you to save you, and you won't do that for your children? Those are your, those are your children. And if, the, and if she's crazy, you the one had babies with a crazy woman. <laughs> I'm confused about a lot of this, right? Like, people don't just wake up crazy one morning, okay? That, just, that doesn't happen, okay? And, okay, I'm about to say something. This is just purely <laughs> practical. Listen to me. Why... If, if, you're getting, if you, you're a strong, strapping young man, young lady, and you can't live in a house with this person, what makes you think your children are going to be able to? And you're going to leave them there with them by themselves? That's absolute, that's insanity. You can't do it, but you want a three-year-old to? I just, I don't, I don't understand. It makes no sense. This is one of the reasons why none of, this is, none of this is logical. None of this makes sense. None of this is about, this is all about selfishness in you. This has nothing to do with the Lord, okay? So, I'm sorry, I lost my spot. I apologize. Uh, listen, divorce, the reason, one of the reasons God hates divorce is because it destroys the picture that marriage shows between the relationship between Christ and the church. It destroys that picture. That's what divorce does. So, listen, you and I were made in the image of God. That was on purpose. Remember? The, what was first? Was it the idea to make man in the image of God? Or was it he made man and was like, hmm, that looks like the image of me? No, no, no. The whole point of it was to make a being that would image God. Marriage is the same way. He made marriage as a pattern after something that already existed. That make sense to you? Paul didn't like scour and look around the earth and say, let me, let me try to find something that looks like the relationship between Christ and his bride. That's not what he did. God created marriage to be that. Okay? 
God created marriage for that purpose, right? So, and because a marriage was made with the intention to reflect the relationship between Christ and his bride, that's what he, that's the purpose he made it for. When you divorce, you slander the Lord, okay? You lie about him. You lie and say that Christ would leave his bride. You lie and you slander the Lord and you say that the Lord is the God that breaks covenants. He does not do that. That is not true. Jesus spoke about divorce in Matthew 9, 19, 16. He said, what God put together, let no man separate, let no man put asunder. If you're reading the King James, listen, we must remember that marriage reflects the union between Christ and his bride. And every single time a divorce happens between a Christian couple, you are sullying the reputation of God when you do that. You are sullying the reputation of the Lord when you do that. Okay? And this last reason, that last reason I just gave is quite often overlooked by Christians. And the reason that's happening is because we value marriage for what it does or for what it produces, what it, how it makes us happy, or we want kids, or we want financial security, right? And, when, and if that's all you really value marriage for, when those things stop happening, you're done. You're going to leave. If you only marry Jack because Jack makes you happy, and when Jack stopped making you happy, guess what you're getting ready to do? You're getting on the first thing smoking. And I can guarantee you, Jack's going to make you unhappy. You know how I know? Because Jack's got sin. Amen, Jack? So if, you're, if your reason for getting married or the reason you're looking forward to getting married is because that person's going to make you happy or that person's going to give you babies or that person's going to give you some kind of security or something like that in life, when they stop giving you that, you're going to want to leave. Okay? But what you should be thinking, you shouldn't have such a utilitarian view of marriage. You should be thinking, your goal, you should make this your, if I, if I had one wish, if I could stand on snap and do one thing, every marriage would have one motto. How can we glorify Lord together? That should be the goal of every marriage. How can we together glorify the Lord. We're going to have babies. Great. How are we going to raise these babies so they can glorify the Lord? I got a job opportunity in another state. Boom, it's taking that job opportunity in another state. Going to help our family glorify the Lord. Your wife decides to stay home and homeschool the kids. How is that going to glorify the Lord? Whatever decision you make, as it relates as a couple, as it relates as a married couple, if you can't answer that question, something's not going to be right. How you should be glorifying the Lord together is the reason, should be the overarching reason for everything you do as a married couple. Listen, and so the reason why so many Christians look for loopholes to get out of their marriage is because they don't have that as the overarching goal of their marriage. You don't consider, oh, 
this marriage is about how we can, as a couple, as a one flesh union, reflect the relationship between Christ and his bride. Because you don't have that goal, when things get, start to get hard and you know your Bible well enough, you start to look for loopholes. How can I legally get out this marriage without these people calling me a sinner? Okay? And that's the problem. You got the wrong thing. You got the wrong focus. Your focus is I'm not being made happy rather than how can I glorify Jesus? Everything that you have, everything that you have, including your children, including your money, and especially your marriage, was given to you so the world would shout, Jesus is king. Everything that you have should be driven to that end. And if you don't have that attitude, you're going to be filing divorce papers. Or you're going to be in a miserable marriage, making that, doing everything you can to make that other person miserable. So instead of asking, is it okay to get divorced under a particular circumstances, under a particular situation or circumstance, we should ask, what would divorce in this circumstance reflect about Christ's relationship to his bride? That's the question, to answer your question from earlier. That's the question you should be asking. That make sense? Don't ask, is it okay for me to get divorced under this circumstance? That's not the question. If somebody asks you that question, ignore it. Okay? The question is, what would divorce in this situation reflect about the relationship between Christ and his bride? Does that make sense to you? That's the question. That's the question. That's the real question. So the third question that we talked about, so remember we talked about it was going to be three questions that we was going to look at as it relates to divorce. What is it? Why God, ha- why God hates it? And the third question is, is, when does he allow it? Even though he hates it, when is it legitimate? When does he allow it? So despite his hatred and his opposition of divorce, right, he, allow, he does in fact allow legitimate divorces in some cases. Again, we got to frame this entire conversation under Matthew 19, verses 1 through 6. Okay, he only did this. This is only happening because of the hardness of men's hearts. This is not the way God intended it. Okay? This is not the way God intended it. So if we're having this conversation, understand there's a whole bunch of sinning happening. Okay? This is not a good situation that we're in. So if you're in a situation where you're like, okay, what? We're asking this question, why does God allow divorce? Well, first of all, it's because it's a bunch of sinners in the room. Right? It's a whole bunch of people in here not obeying Jesus. That's how we even get into this question. Okay? So, some of the legitimate grounds for divorce, what they might be, and it's only in some cases, right? Well, actually, let me backtrack. There's actually only ever one legitimate ground for divorce. Okay? There's only one the marriage covenant has been broken, okay? The marriage covenant has been broken, okay? That's the only legitimate reason for any divorce. Two people, one flesh union, I'm sorry, rewind, one biological male, one biological female, covenanted together for life, 
there's only one legitimate reason that that, that that marriage should be publicly recognized as dissolved is because one or both of those parties broke the marriage covenant. That's the only reason. So then the question, the real question is, is when somebody sins, did that sin break the covenant? That makes sense? Okay. So the marriage covenant has been broken and divorce, all divorce would be is a formal public recognition of an, an acknowledgement of something that's already happened. The sin has already been committed. Now you're just letting everybody else know. That makes sense to you? So scripture gives us a couple of examples. I'm not going to talk about all of them because you'll see why in a second. So sexual immorality is one of the reasons. Jesus says, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce. This is Matthew uh, chapter 9, verse uh, 19. Because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Okay? The only exception that Jesus is giving here is sexual immorality. Now, I have to say this. This is important because I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. Adultery does not necessitate divorce. Okay? So because your spouse or if your spouse commits adultery, that does not mean you must divorce them. That make sense? Okay? By God's grace, there are many Christians and some in this body who have chosen to not simply forgive but to actually reconcile in the wake of adultery. And that is an absolute picture of the grace of God. Amen, hallelujah, that that happens. Okay? This can be beautiful and a powerful, powerful, powerful demonstration of the gospel. So adultery does not compel, demand, or necessitate divorce. But in the wake of adultery, the spouse who has been sinned against may initiate divorce without being in sin themselves. That makes sense to you? So if you're the one committing adultery, mm-mm. No, sir. That's not talking about you. You need to repent and come to Christ. If you're the one committing adultery, it's the one who's been sinned against and betrayed that has the right without sin to initiate divorce should they choose. I need y'all to make sure y'all understand that. Okay? I really need you to make sure you understand that. Some of y'all looking, looking at me real funny right now like you don't understand what I'm saying. Does everybody understand that? Okay. The second example is in an abandonment, abandonment by an unbeliever. This is what Paul describes in 1 Corinthians uh, 7.15. Being married to an unbeliever in and of itself is not a reason for divorce. So just because you married an unbeliever doesn't necessarily mean that you can get divorced. But it says, Paul says, or the scripture says, but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. Okay? 
Now, that entire verse is alluding to something that was said in Exodus 21, right? And this Exodus 21, 11 through 12 is talking about divorce in a way, right? He says, it's talking about a man who has taken in a female slave, right? And this lady ends up marrying his son. That's the context of uh, Exodus 21. And should this son marry this slave, here's what the scripture says. If he takes the son, takes another wife to himself, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, or her marital rights. And if he does not do these three things for her, she shall go out for nothing without the payment of money. So she has the right to divorce in that case. Okay? So a man in this is obligated to care for his wife, and if he fails to do so within the biblical framework of what that looks like, she has the right to dissolve the marriage. So when we say abandonment, listen to me, when we say abandonment, you got to define it the way the Bible does. Okay? Some dude not picking his clothes up off the bathroom floor is not abandonment. Okay? That's not abandonment. If he's not as nice to you and is not as romantic to you as you want him to be, that's not abandonment. Is he stupid? Yeah, he's probably stupid, but that's not abandonment. Make sure you are actually defining things the way the Bible does. Okay? So all of these three examples that I gave are very complex because when you start getting down into the weeds, right? Like, let me give you an example. So like the first one is, is adultery, right? Listen to this. Is repeated, unrepentant viewing of pornography a form of sexual immorality that provides a grounds for divorce? Now watch this. Half of y'all are gonna be like, yep. Jesus said, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, it's like committing adultery. The other half is gonna say, well, looking at pornography is not the same as actually having physical sex with another person. Both of those people are right. You understand why I said when you get into this situation, this thing is complex, it's not as clean and cut as dry as you want it to be. And I submit to you, if you're under the age of 35, I'm almost guaranteeing you, you got some really hard stances on some of this stuff because you haven't lived life yet. Okay? This is not as simple and cut as, and cut as dry as you think it is. This is why you need to be covenanted with a church. You need to be having pastors and elders and other people around you to help you navigate this because you are not as smart as you think you are. Okay? If we leave you to yourself, to your marriage, you're going to mess it up. Amen? Okay? So listen to me. Here's a listen to this. What if, so now Paul says, if the spouse is an unbelieving spouse and they abandon, you're free to divorce. Right? That's what the script, that's 1 Corinthians 7, 15. What if the spouse is a believer? What does that text say about if the spouse is a believer? How are you going to answer that? I don't know. Because I just read you Exodus 20 that said if the wife is not getting her three rights, she's free to go. 
This is why I keep trying to tell y'all, this stuff is not as simple as y'all seem to think it is. Okay? It's not. Is emotional abandonment a form of neglect? All the ladies going to say yes, all the men going to say no. Tell me I'm wrong. Men don't care about that? Am I right? So the, all the ladies going to say, oh, he's a man, he's abandoning me emotion. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to mock you. I'm sorry. I apologize. I, I'm sorry. I'm really not. All the ladies are going to say emotional abandonment is abandonment and it's a grounds for the divorce. And the men are going to say, no, that's not true. Your feelings do not make everything the truth, right? That's why you have so much conflict in marriage. Again, y'all don't know what y'all talking about. That's why you need people around you to help you through some of this stuff. Because you could just have some messed up feelings that you got from your parents. Okay? What level of sin actually breaks the marriage covenant? I'll wait for the answer. You see how difficult this is? This is why you got to be charitable when you're talking to people about these kind of subjects because we don't read our Bibles. I talk to a lot of people in this church. We don't read our Bibles. Okay, well, we, we have our hobby horses that we jump on, right? And we got some things that we hold on to real tightly, and they usually have to do with our personal experiences and the things that we like or dislike, and then so you hard and fast on some stuff. But it's only because you're acting like a 12-year-old. Okay? So listen, these grounds for divorce <clears throat> are never meant to be proof texts and check boxes to justify divorce all on their own. You understand what I'm saying? Just because a spouse is committing adultery does not necessarily mean that you need to be running to go to a divorce lawyer. That is not true. Listen to me, family. If y'all having marital problems, in any one of these pastors, and I know this, they're going to push you to reconciliation. That's what they're going to push you to, reconciliation. If you got Christian brothers and sisters that's next to you that's not pushing you to reconciliation, you need to push them to us. You understand what I'm getting at? We should never be thinking, you, this is what you should never, you should never have this attitude. You should never be looking like this and going, oh, that's the reason right there. I can divorce them now. That's never the attitude. Okay? These things help us understand these, these exceptions, help us to understand the covenantal nature of marriage, they, and what they actually do is provide a framework for reconciliation. Do you understand? That what they do is they say, okay, in order for us to reconcile, you got to stop doing this stuff. You, you get what I'm getting at? Yes? Okay. <laughs> they, provide a, they provide a framework for reconciliation, not a checklist for how I can leave. You already had in your mind that you was trying to leave if that's how you're thinking. 
you got into that marriage the day you stood up and said, I do. You was already in the back of your head. You had a little file back there with a list of stuff that you thought, this is what's going to make me leave this marriage. And you had it already signed and ready to go. So these, listen, so these things, what these things do is they help pastors. Okay? They help pastors. They're principles that pastors of a church can use to think through biblically whether a divorce should be permitted or not. So we can sit down and talk to you and open up the Bible. What's going on at home? What is this person doing? What is this person not doing? How can we figure out how we can reconcile this thing before we go to that step? We don't even kick you out the church like that. Who was here when they did church discipline on that? How long was that process? That was over a year, right? Right? How can you... So that's a covenant between a body and a, and a, and a believer, right? A two parties, right? A marriage, is, in a sense, is a similar thing. So help me understand why you think you can just, oh, I got the thing, I can be out now. These, these, these exceptions, what they do is they just set up a framework so you can fix it. You should be trying to fix it. Okay? I just want to say this real quick about physical abuse. Ladies, if some dude is putting his hand on you, you need to be making two calls. The first one needs to be the police. Okay? Straight away. Police officers. And then the next one is the pastors, if you feel comfortable with that. But the first, number one call, needs to be Metro. So I'm not telling you to stay there and get, get, get your face beat in. If that's what you're hearing, I apologize. I ain't saying that. That dude needs to be getting church discipline immediately, and he needs to go see the authorities straight away. So decision, I'm sorry, divorce is never a decision that anyone should be making on their own. It's a difficult decision that must be made in submission to the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, as a last resort in under submission of the local church. Amen? We got any questions? Wow. Okay, let's pray. <laughs> Our God and Father, Lord, we thank you for your mercy and your kindness to us, O oh God. Lord, we know you didn't leave us in the dark to grope around how to figure out how to do all of these difficult things, O Lord, but you have left us your word. You left us your light to be a lamp to guide us, O God. Lord, you have given us your church and your people to help us, to counsel us, O God. So, Lord, help us, God, to deal with these things in a godly, gracious, biblical way, O Lord, in a way that would glorify your name and reflect the glories of heaven. By the aid of your spirit, in the holy name of Christ we pray. Amen.